Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Sam Polaro is the co-CEO of Picasso MD, a telehealth solution that instantly connects healthcare providers for clinical decision support, referrals, and care coordination. Before Picasso MD, Sam was previously SVP of strategic initiatives at Kayak Open Table after the company acquired Binga, his last startup. Sam's first venture was an online flower subscription business that was acquired by Battery Ventures portfolio Bloom. Prior to taking the entrepreneurial leap, Sam was a principal at Portfolio Logic, a healthcare-focused investment company. Sam holds a BS in mechanical engineering from Carnegie Mellon, and Sam is passionate about entrepreneurship technology and improving our healthcare system. A three-time entrepreneur himself, Sam is always willing to help founders because he has been in their shoes. Sam, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you. And it's been good getting to know you and following your journey and uh, super excited for this. So Thanks. what is the uh, one away moment that you want to share with us today? Uh, my one away moment was uh, when I, uh, for a period of about uh, eight hours, um, stepped down from uh, my position as CEO of my last company uh, before sort of re- regaining that, the helm a, a few hours later. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that was not what I was expecting, but I, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> so well, let me ask you this. What company was it and what propelled you to say, I want to step away from this position? Sure. Uh, the company was called Venga. We made uh, software for the hospitality industry. We launched it in, in 2009 and we had sort of a, a couple of years of Kind of false starts, and uh, you know we were we had kind of retrenched and, and gone back into an accelerator after you know already launching the company, which is sort of the, the backwards way to do things. But we felt we had to do that to, to retrench, and things were um, still continuing to go go sideways for the most part. And uh, we had uh, an investor uh, approach us and said, "Look, I want to invest, but uh, I also want to be the CEO." And uh, you know, for for a brief minute, and you know, I was struggling through a lot of stuff in my personal life as well. And for a brief moment, I thought, you know, that would be the best thing for the company is to to bring in this capital infusion, let someone else take over the helm, and move on to do something else. Huh. Okay. You were going sideways. Things weren't maybe as going humming along as you wanted, and this maybe scenario came in, came in that maybe felt like would solve all remedies. Uh, you get a cash infusion, it would take you out of, you know, the leadership position so you could focus on some things at home. How, I mean, I want to kind of lean into that when you were in that position and it sounds like you said, I'm going to do this temporarily. How are you weighing that decision? What was going through your mind? How do you look at it from a pro standpoint? How do you look at it from a con perspective? And I have to imagine too, a lot of internal grappling inside of what do I do? 
Yeah, you know, it's hard because, you know, I was thinking about it, what's best for, you know, me and my family at the time. I, I had a, a um, my son was, I think, one or two years old at the time. So, um, you know, I, I had a young family and, and all the, the stress and struggles that comes with that. Uh, and then there was the company and, and our investors. And I was thinking, well, what's best from the company's perspective? You know, I'm just one person. So even though this isn't what, what I want, uh, is this best for the other employees of the company? Is this best for the investors of the company? Is this best for my, my business partner? So I was trying to, to you know, figure out what's best for me personally, what's best for the company, uh, and you know, trying to weigh that against you know, my own ambitions. And of course, not being the way this, you know, I never envisioned you know, sort of stepping aside or failing as an entrepreneur. So that was the, the struggle that was going on. Yeah, got it. Uh, and just just for context, how long how long have you been building the company prior to this investor kind of coming into your orbit? I think at that point it was probably a year and a half to two years. Got it. So you know, not an insignificant amount of time um, to to invest, but uh, you know, not not you know ten years either. Right, makes sense. So uh, you know, you had your son that you were you know survival, you know, trying to make sure that you could feed feed the family you were you know young you know early into the company without a lot of, you know it sounds like a ton of clear direction or paths feel free to share this or not share this but who was if you don't mind who was this person and if, and if you don't if you can't share no worries how what you why you you mentioned that you went to step down but then you didn't so my question for you is kind of what changed in this few hour period or few day period where you yeah it's actually an interesting story so um it was uh, the pitch day for the accelerator program that we were in, you know, we, we had been trying to raise money to really, you know, what we felt we needed to, to get us, you know, out of our kind of, um, you know, funk and, and really start to grow the business. And, um, you know, this in, the investor was coming in saying he wanted to run it and we we're preparing for the pitch day. And, and uh, someone uh, from the accelerator program also said, well, you know, maybe it'd be interesting to let him pitch this investor, uh, you know, just to bring, you know, a new face, someone that people haven't already seen and a new dynamic. And so um, after a lot of uh, you know, thought, I said, okay, you know, we'll let him pitch and, and let him position himself as, you know, kind of going to be leading this company going forward. And so that was what, what happened. And, and the pitch was actually, it was a, there was an afternoon session and a morning session. And during the morning session, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, sure, you, you go up and pitch. And he did. And, uh, you know, his pitch, which just made it so obvious that his um, style, you know, he was very, he bragged a lot. It was very about him. It was just very inconsistent with the, the sort of values of our company. And so it was a lunch in between the, 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 the morning session, the afternoon session. And in that time, I said, look, this is not, this is not the right decision. I need to step back into this role mm -hmm. and, you know, continue to lead this company because I saw what, you know, briefly flashed in front of my eyes, the future of this company under, under someone else's leadership. Well, not, and you saw it flat, you know, you saw that flash on a big stage, right? Picturing your business. Uh, and Absolutely. You, like that, being able to see that and acknowledge that. I mean, clearly it says you were very aware you know, I want to ask you a question. If this is too personal, feel free not to answer it. But, you know, you consider giving this role up. You consider giving the vision of the company to putting it in the hands of someone else who clearly wasn't a fit to do it. Did, did you believe in yourself at the time? Did And did you think your team believed in you as well? I, I don't think that I had the, 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 the conviction um, 
in myself that that I should have had. You know, and I think what you know, I think as entrepreneurs, we always have some self-doubt. And I think what really pushed me over the edge was, you know, I can deal with my own self-doubt, but I think it was when you know, the, the folks from the accelerator said, well, why don't, why don't you give someone else a try? You know, maybe, maybe a fresh face would help. That's when it sort of said, okay, well, it's not just my self-doubt, but other people maybe believe that I'm not the right person for the job. Uh, and so that's when it really, you know, it, it was beyond just me. It was other people kind of having the same thoughts. And, and that's what sort of pushed me over the edge to, to kind of think about stepping down. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I relate a lot to that when you don't always feel like you have the most uh, people around you are equipped with the right skill sets and, you know, all the, the hell, the hell and high water moments of, you know, surviving. So uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, and, you know, must've been really hard for you at the time. I uh, can't imagine myself doing, you know, being in that, those shoes and having to decide. So you said, okay, you saw them pitch and you said, this is not aligned with my values. I've worked too hard the last year and a half to give this away when you said, okay, I'm going to put myself back in the driver's seat, how did things change? How did things evolve? Uh, actually, it was it was great. So we we pitched um, that in the afternoon session. Fortunately, um, you know, there was the investor, uh, a seed fund here in the D.C. area attended the afternoon session where I pitched, not the morning session, uh, ended up um, leading our Series A round. We raised a million dollar Series A round. Uh, and that was kind of the, the, the catalyst that we needed to really start to, to grow the company. So it was, you know, we got the, the one investor that brought in some other investors. And, and that was kind of all we needed to really um, get moving. Mm, got it. Makes so much sense. So you got the 1 million and you raised the capital. How did you start to deploy it? You said it really got things turning and moving, but where did you start to see the most growth? And, you know, you said you're in, in the middle of raising money right now. So I'm sure it's striking some old memories for you. Once you got that capital, how did things start to go? And like what yeah. way first deploy the capital and start to see the changes? Yeah. So, you know, I talked about how during the first when we first launched, we launched and then we had to pivot. Uh, and so we had to kind of retrench. And so we really had to invest you know, first in, in the product and rebuilding um, a new product uh, for, the, for the market that we had identified. Uh, and so that was the, the first step in, in you know, hiring the engineers uh, and the team to do that. And then from there, you know, bringing on um, you know, the sales and business development folks. But you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you're not your first salesperson, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong. So you know, uh, you've got to be out there and sell, talking to customers and hearing you know, what, what they want and what they need and what, getting the reaction firsthand. So we, we, you know, we use the money to bring on you know, the engineering and product team we needed to, to complete the pivot. I love what you said about being, you know, the person who I think I met you through, I was having a conversation with him recently and he said, the entre entrepreneur, no matter how big the company is, is always the best salesperson. So right. you, you realize that, uh, but you had to re rejig the product you said, what, what about the product was maybe wrong for the market at hand? And how did you kind of bring it around to a place where you got it right for the kind of customer profile that you're really trying to penetrate? Yeah, so we were trying initially to build a two-sided marketplace for the restaurant industry where we would connect consumers uh, with restaurants and we would help consumers decide where to go out to eat and we'd help restaurants um, promote the things, the, the food, the events, 
um, the specials that they were doing in their restaurants. And that's a really, really difficult business, those two-sided marketplaces, because you need it to always be balanced and you need to acquire consumers, you need to acquire uh, businesses. Uh, and so it, it just takes a ton of capital and it's a very difficult market. Uh, and so what we pivoted to is really focusing on uh, the business, in this case, uh, the restaurants and building a CRM, a uh, customer relationship management platform for restaurants that would help them to um, keep track of and engage the customers that they already had and help to, to bring them back more often. So that was the pivot. Super neat. I'm thinking about just going to restaurants. I, I sometimes question like why Chipotle or why, you know, whatever down the street doesn't, you know, I mean, maybe they do, but it's, it's neat that you were able to say, let me go really acute. Let me just build CRM for restaurants. Now, when you were building this, what were maybe some of the product adaptions or features or things that you were able to build just for the restaurant industry that really allowed for this product to start catching traction and getting on? And then once you started to see that, how did that maybe change your sales and marketing processes and engineering? The restaurant industry is a little bit unique in that the data systems they use don't talk to each other. So when you go to a restaurant, if you make a reservation on you know, Open Table or you know, Resi, you know, you make a reservation. And so the the restaurant knows who you are. They see you know reservation for Brian Wish at 7 p.m. tonight. Then you go into the restaurant and you buy you know, a bottle of wine and you buy a steak and you know, an appetizer. All that data lives in a separate system. And those systems don't talk to each other. So, you know, restaurants have no idea, you know, what their customers like to eat and drink, which is incredible because, you know, they always say the first rule of business is know your customers. The, the insight we realize is that restaurants have no ability to keep track of, of their customers and how often they come and how much they spend and what they like to eat and drink. But by connecting those two data sources, we're able to give restaurants the information that they need to make use of it and, and to really customize and personalize the experience and tailor their uh, their marketing and engagement towards individuals' actual you know, preferences. Yeah, now I'm thinking of uh, pre-COVID days where you walk into a restaurant you're a regular at and they just know your order right off the bat and they here you go, but you know, how do you do that exactly. scale with technology, right? Super cool. So, yeah. once, you, so once you're able to um, find that kind of traction and restaurants saw this as valuable. What did you do on, you know, in the position of being CEO, not giving it up, saying, okay, this is how we need to go scale our sales processes, or how did marketing function differently, or you evolve the product to equip yourself to kind of scale uh, with the software that you had built? Uh, so a lot of it had to do with the um, relationships that that we built and the, the channels and, and partnerships uh, that we created. So we created a really strong um, partnership with OpenTable, who uh, ultimately ended up being our acquirer. Uh, and so uh, we were able to really um, leverage uh, the the footprint and, and my co-founder uh, actually uh, you know, is really to credit for this, but he built an incredible relationship with that organization so that they were actually selling our products for us. Uh, and so, um, you know, they had the relationships with the customers. They already knew them. You know, they were much like more likely to pick up the phone when, when they called than if, if, you know, someone from Venga called who they'd never heard of. Um, but we, we were um, able to, to leverage that relationship to, to kind of grow the business and eventually to, to be acquired. So cool. Uh, you know, Something, Sam, that I think is coming across is this just 
constant desire to turn over every rock, maybe feel your way through some decisions and kind of do what's right. When you do that, you have to make a lot of hard decisions along the way. And it sounds like this journey was met with a lot of persistence that you just an unwavering drive to kind of figure it out. As you were navigating this pivot to, you know, traction to acquisition, what maybe if you could lean into, what were some of the hardest parts where you really had to persevere and kind of overcome things that maybe you just never thought were possible? I would say building a business is always two steps forward and one step back. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you, you often take those, those one step back uh, a lot harder uh, than, than maybe even those two steps forward. And so, um, you know, every time you, you lose a, a customer, um, every time you lose an employee, every time, uh, you know, that you release a, a, a version of the software that has a bug on it, you, you really feel it personally. And, and you know, it, you feel it like physically almost, you know, in your body when, when something like that happens. Uh, and so it's, it's very easy, um, you know, along the way, you often get, um, there's other opportunities that come up and people might reach out to you and offer you jobs. And so there's a lot of opportunity to just say, you know, what, why am I dealing with like the stress and headache of, you're running this company when, you know, I could be you know, sitting back and collecting a paycheck, you know, like everybody else and um, going home and, and leaving my work at the office. Um, and so, you know, there were probably, you know, I don't know, uh, half a dozen times when I thought about giving up along the way, just because the challenges seem so insurmountable. But, you know, I, I'm you know, so glad that I stuck it out, you know, at, at every single one of those intersections, because, you know, it, all it takes is sort of one time where you decide, you know, to, to, to let it go and to give up. Uh, but you have to make that decision actively, you know, multiple times, you know, five, 10 times to actually stick with it, if you're actually going to reach that, that um, the success at the end of the tunnel. You know, I relate so much to that, like that losing a customer or that, you know, something going wrong with the product and now that just crushes you and you do take it personally because it's an it's a embodiment of something you created. Uh, so that's right. Makes sense. Uh, do you, within those five or 10 moments where you, you just bounce back and overcame insurmountable odds, as you put it, do any one or two of those just stick out that are worth sharing? I know you're raising around and you want an investor to know about one of those stories. What, what's maybe one you would tell them? Uh, I mean, there was definitely a time when we were, you know, out of money and we were, you know, bouncing checks. And like, I forget there was some bill that we had that was like supposed to be automatically paid every month, you know, our, our utility bill or something. And like every time the, the, the utility would try to like, you know, take the money out of our account, it would bounce. And then they would charge, the bank would then charge like us an overdraft fee. And so like our balance kept getting like lower and lower and lower. Uh, and, and, you know, you're just watching it. And, um, you know, you, the first thing that we did anytime we got low in cash is my co-founder and I would stop collecting a salary. And then the next step is, you know, we have to put more money into the business. Uh, and, you know, at some point, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at your own personal bank account and your company's bank account, and you're seeing them both start to dwindle. And you, you're, you're just wondering, like, how long can you keep this up? And but every day you have to go in and you have to put on, you know, a strong face for your customers and your employees, your investors, and you have to maintain that confidence. And it's, it's hard. It's, it eats away at you. And, you know, having a, a good co-founder who you really get along with is so key because, 
you know, on some days, you know, your co-founder might be really down. You've got to, you know, pick them up and, and, and then they're going to do the same for you. And I was lucky to, to have a, an awesome co-founder who was able to kind of keep me motivated when I was feeling down and I did the same for him. It's great. Yeah. It's, uh, plus one on the co-founder, but I think you're right. You got to keep showing up strong and, and being there, right? Even when you don't want to, or your bank account is dwindling. Um, so, so Sam, take, take us to maybe some of the highs, you know, it took a while to maybe get some of these traction <laughs> points and moment, momentum going where you got to a point of acquisition. How did you get the business to a place where it was really solidified, a place where you felt like you could exit? Uh, and, and just maybe tell us more about that journey from nothing to like really getting it somewhere after the raise. Yeah, I mean, I remember... Um, when we signed our first real enterprise client and, you know, realizing that how much revenue that that deal was going to bring in and realizing like, okay, this is now we're finally getting somewhere and, and th those wins. And, and because it's not just about the revenue, but when you, you know, it also gives you referenceability. So when you can say to, you know, sales prospects, oh, you know, one thing they're always going to ask is who uses this? And so, you know, if you can just get a couple, you know, name brand, you know, customers and and you know, even in the beginning, if you just need to give it away, you know, don't charge them. But that that way, you can say, you know, the best, you know, whatever industry you're in uses this, uses our product. Um, that makes it so much easier to then sell it, you know, uh, you know, to your second customer and third customer. But I remember, you know, the feeling of you know, we signed a couple large enterprise customers within a few months of each other, and that's when I knew. Hey, this is actually working, and the business is growing, and we're, we're starting to make money. Um, that that's always a huge win for me. Uh, and then the other thing that I really love is is seeing um, people the people that join the, our companies do well and succeed and get promoted and go from you know being uh, you know an entry level position. You know, we hired someone who um, we originally hired him as an unpaid intern. And he worked so hard, he proved himself and made it. And he, he was, you know, two, two years later, three years later, our director of operations and on, on our management team. And so seeing people succeed like that was always the most rewarding part of the business for me. Yeah, I love that. I love the story of you empowering people, maybe they have the experience and could bring them up to a leadership level to kind of own key parts of the business. Not easy to do, especially if someone is green or they don't have that. I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually, um, with Ben Horowitz, and it was talked about, you know, actually in like a software enterprise business, like bringing a salesperson, a key position who's never had sales experience in software is like a really bad decision because you need someone in the experience. And you're saying, I have, you know, operations a little more behind the scenes, so that might be different, but you know, you're you're able to bring someone into a role and groom them. So, you know, I can, I can relate that, you know, seeing that happen. And that's also happened on my side with what we're doing with our head of operations is now my co-founder. So yeah, uh, thanks for sharing. Yeah. We, what we found one of the, the um, sort of rules that we lived with is, you know, we, we hire great people when we find them. And, you know, in, in my experience, great people will be great in almost any role that they do. And sure, there might be a learning curve, but if you've got the, the passion, enthusiasm, the, the intellectual horsepower, you know, you can see, can, can succeed in a lot of roles. So when you find those people, you know, grab them, even if you're not hiring for any role right now, you'll find something for them to do and, and they will, they'll knock it out of the park and, and make you, you know, very glad that you did. Intellectual horsepower. So well said. I love it. I'm going <laughs> to steal that. 
Sam, are there any other comments that you want to say about what you built at Venga? Uh, anything else you want to share there before I move the conversation along? Um, no, I, I think you know that that's the you know the, the crux of the story is just you know it takes a lot of perseverance and and sticking with it and um, you know you have to um, you know I always say you know it's like rebounding in basketball. I see the basketball jersey uh, hanging behind you. You know uh, you. Uh, you know, you never know which way the ball is going to bounce, you know, off the rim. And so, you know, you're not going to get every rebound, but if you hustle enough and you put yourself in a position, eventually the ball is going to bounce your way. And so you have to keep fighting. If even if, you know, four times, five times, 10 times, you know, the ball bounces a different way. If you keep hustling, you know, the ball is going to bounce to you and you're going to start getting a lot of rebounds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my mom always, she had a picture of the, I think Michael Jordan quote there, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Uh, hoop in my room but i agree with you you know you just gotta be hustle be scrappy and the ball will eventually come your way uh resonate deeply uh same question for you I i'm curious about how you grew up uh what was your family environment like were you always wired this way i mean did you have nurturing experiences that maybe drove you to be entrepreneurial i mean take us back to maybe sam sure. the kid before he went off to college or you know post well, I was very fortunate in that my father is also an entrepreneur, uh, and so I had that that role model. And now, you know, I think it was it was planted deep within me, although it never occurred to me. I was I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, and I wanted to go you know build you know planes for Boeing. Um, but you know, I saw him as an entrepreneur, you know, working, and and I saw that you know he could do it, and, and he was you know, had no experience as an entrepreneur and he just, you know, through sheer, you know, tenacity and, and work ethic, uh, you know, made it work. And so um, I, I think ultimately, I, you know, I have to credit him for, for my um, success as an entrepreneur. I love, love that. What about your dad? Like what, what qualities did he possess that as you look back and growing up that he just had or his instincts or characteristics you know about him that you've embodied yourself yeah I, I mean the number one is is you know his um the way he balanced his uh you know work and career as an entrepreneur with with you know the time as as uh you know it, with the family uh we would um always have dinner together as a family every single night right at 6 30 and if he wasn't home at like 6 31 you know we, my mom and i would like scowl at him when he came in the door and mo most of the days he was absolutely home at 6 30 for our family dinner uh and throughout all of it he was he always coached my baseball teams and i think you know in you know 12 years of coaching my baseball teams he may have missed you know one or two games because he was out of town uh, but he never missed a game because of you know some some work commitment so he was able to balance you know all the work that he had to do uh, as an entrepreneur with with you know the the time that he you know spent with me and and my mom and the family wow so special to look back on have those memories you know my my dad similar in a very similar capacity like something i'm very fond of so i i it means a lot uh, when you have a family but your parents work very hard so neat that you have that and can can look back on that and see he was always there for you um so very cool Sam, I want to kind of touch on a bit what you're doing now. I'm sure all, talking about this experience building Venga, these memories is really directly applying to what you're doing today and kind of leaning on that for more perseverance, overcome obstacles. Um, maybe tell us about the company that you're building right now and kind of your vision for it. 
Sure. So um, I uh, started uh, a company called Picasso MD with um, I have two co-founders. One is a, a doctor who I met who had the original idea for Picasso MD, as well as my CTO from Venga, who have now worked together for seven years. We've got, I got a great working relationship. And you know, when I started another company, I, I knew um, you know, I, I wanted him to be a part of it. Uh, and so uh, what we do is we help uh, primary care doctors get connected with specialists uh, when they have a question about how to treat or triage a patient. So if you walked into your doctor's office and said, you know, I'm having these chest pains, you know, what, what should I do? Your primary care doctor, you know, can't really be expected to know everything about, you know, the, the dozens of medical specialties. Uh, but what we do is, you know, through our apps, you know, essentially give your primary care doctor the ability to be instantly connected with a specialist to help uh, him or her figure out what you know what what to do with you and whether you should go to the emergency room, whether you should go see a specialist for more testing, or whether this is you know, nothing to worry about and just something to to continue to monitor. Looks so cool, creating kind of a clear medical path, and I think that's why why I connected with you so much on I think our first call a few months ago is because of just my injuries and health battles and having to jump through fourteen different hoops to find the right plan for me, and that journey is mentally taxing, physically taxing. So if you can reduce that, you, you mentioned to me something on that call from my notes about um, it really being a benefit to insurance companies, right? That's As right. Cost savings. Can you maybe speak to that? Sure. So we spend about $50 billion each year in, in the US on unnecessary healthcare. And uh, that breaks down into a lot of specialist care. One out of every two specialist visits is unnecessary. Uh, and about two out of every three emergency visits are actually for non-emergencies. And so if we can um, eliminate that unnecessary healthcare uh, and we can better you know, triage patients and get them to the right um, next levels of care, uh, that uh, reduces the overall costs on our healthcare system, uh, which makes it cheaper for us to buy health insurance, cheaper for us to um, you know, get healthcare, but also it makes it easier to see a specialist. Like if you're trying to see, you know, get in to see an a orthopedist who specializes in you know, knee injuries, uh, you know, it could take you months to get an appointment. Uh, and, and the problem is that if, you know, half of those people, you know, who, who that orthopedist sees, you know, don't need to be there, could be you know, treated in another environment, right? We can cut those lead times, you know, in, in half or, or more. So, you know, by, by you know, making sure that the, the right levels of care are established, we, we reduce unnecessary costs for everyone and make it easier for everyone to access specialty care when they really need it. So, yeah, I love that. And I just think, you know, at a level of scale and, you know, you can get that to be impacting millions of people, you know, every week, every month, right? Tens of millions. Goal. Yep. Can really uh, change lives and health journeys for people. One more question, and then I want to kind of give people a place to connect. Uh, why Picasso? The name. Uh, so the name uh, was was uh, chosen by my co-founder, but it relates to the fact that. Um, you know, medicine is as much art as it is science, and there's so much gray area uh, in, in, you know, treating patients, um, and it's not just something that you can sort of look up, you know, every, every answer in a book. Uh, and so, you know, by, by bringing, you know, specialists into the, the primary care setting, uh, we help, you know, facilitate that, uh, that art of medicine. Got it. 
Love the answer. And actually, I have one more question. This is a bit morbid, but you just got to stick with me here. <laughs> if you had cancer, you could only pick one way to heal yourself, not knowing how it was going to turn out. And you had an Eastern medicine, East, Eastern medicine philosophy or a Western medicine philosophy. What, which one would you pick if you had to pick one to heal yourself? Yeah, that, that, that's really difficult because um, I've seen... Um, I've seen the successes and failures of both of those. I, I've seen times when our sort of Western medicine was, was so interventionist that the treatments were worse than the disease, right? Uh, and, and you'd say, you know, we should do, we do too much. We, we're too interventionist. Um, you know, Eastern medicine has its advantage. And then I've seen, you know, the, the, the beauty of, uh, you know, close family members who, who've had cancer and have used, you know, modern Western medicine treatments uh, and and they've been cured and and cancer free. So um, I, I don't know. I have to think long about and hard about that. It's a great question. I think it's I'd have to evaluate is the treatment protocol that's being recommended you know wor worse than the disease or is um, you know can this be be treated a little bit less aggressively uh, at least first until you know requires a more aggressive intervention. Got it. No, love the answer. I think that's the hardest question I've ever asked someone. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for giving it an attempt. I just kind of wanted to see how you thought about it. Uh, Sam, this has been so great. Such polished answers, not that you tried to be in any way, but just like spoke with such clarity and I appreciate uh, how you went about it and such perseverance along your journey. Uh, if people wanted to reach out or be inspired by you, where, had a question to follow up, what's the best place to find you? Yep. Uh, Twitter is great. Um, at Sam Polaro, S-A-M-P is in Paul, O-L-L-A-R-O. -L -L awesome. Well, Sam, thanks so much. Can't wait to share this. Best of luck to you on your journey and super excited for what's ahead. Thanks, Brian. It's been fun. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.